This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 790 with Jill Schroyer. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 790. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Jill Schroyer is the CEO and founder of Expedition HR and a past member of my Tenacious Mama's Business Mastermind. Jill's background is 20 plus years working in HR, having held positions across four industries from HR assistant to executive level roles. Jill is thrilled to be entering her fifth year as a business owner, where she refers to herself as an expert sticky situation solver, an ESSS. <laughs> um, I wanted Jill to come in because maybe you need help in HR in your company, or maybe you are in HR yourself. But here's the other thing. Regardless of whether or not you need support in HR or you are wanting anything professional out of this conversation, which you might get some of that, what you're really going to get is how to solve sticky situations anywhere, whether it's in a relationship, in parenting, in your work environment. And when Jill has talked about being a sticky situation solver in different capacities over the last few years as we've worked together, I have always been able to connect dots to how her work is relevant in so many different ways, and I know it's going to be relevant to you. So most of Jill's clients find her because they're looking to navigate a difficult or sticky situation. Often this is in the workplace, needing to fire someone or struggling to address a performance issue, maybe dealing with ongoing workplace drama or conflict, or maybe you're someone who is growing a business and you need to get HR structure in place and you reach out to Jill. Jill also is a speaker and a trainer, and she has a five-step formula from her best-selling book, Conquer Sticky Situations. And we're going to be talking about that five-step formula today and how you can apply it to different areas of your life. So listen in to hear Jill share how she went from feeling mediocre in life to feeling confident in hard, sticky, and uncomfortable forms of leadership. The power of changing your beliefs to challenge your narrative and change your outcomes why we shy away from sticky conversations and how we can rewrite the narrative about our ability to sit in tough moments and conversations. Oh, this is a good one, right? (laughs) We tell ourselves big stories about how well we can sit in discomfort and Jill's going to help us reframe that. And then she digs into her five-step formula for dealing with tough conversations and sticky situations. And from there, she shows her three-prong approach to the five steps that are really where the magic happens when you are in sticky conversations. 
And then she talks about how to use this five-step framework to go after what you want, whether it's in a relationship or in the workplace or like maybe asking for a raise. (laughs) So I know you're going to take something from this conversation, probably a few things. You might want to take a few notes. I love when we can use people's expertise across various genres and aspects of life. And that's what we're going to do today with Jill's incredible work. So with all that said, let's go ahead and welcome Jill Schroyer to the Shameless Mom Academy. Jill, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. Oh my gosh, this is going to be so much fun. Yay. Thanks, Sarah. Super excited. So I have to tell people you are, I'll let you fill in gaps, but you're a longtime listener of the Shameless Mom Academy, a former member of Tenacious Mamas, and also the person who at one point said to me, I love helping people have sticky conversations. And I like felt my whole body clench up like, oh my God, sticky conversations. Like that's the worst. And you were like, no, it can be so fun. So I'm super, super excited to dig into this conversation, having known you over the course of a handful of years and also seen how you just boldly walk into uncomfortable things. Yes. I'm so excited to talk about all that. So I'm going to have you start off where we start everyone. Go ahead and tell us a little bit about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. Yeah. So gosh, I have used my, the formula I'll talk about today for handling sticky situations. I'm using that more and more with my kids. I've got a middle schooler this year. And so I'm finding, wow, this is, someone told me once that the technique works for kids. You know, you're kind of giving parenting advice and I'm realizing that more and more. So personally, I'm <laughs> There's forever challenged. situations with kids. <laughs> yes, he's going to be 12 this summer. And that's just weird. <laughs> and, you know, we're big travelers. So we have a trip planned this August to Scotland and the Norwegian Fjord. So we're super excited about that. Wow. It's kind of what we live for around here, the big travel and just having fun with the family. But professionally, I'm most excited about the hard conversations training I've been doing a lot lately, getting a lot of traction kind of just through mostly LinkedIn. People are seeing, you've probably seen too, I'm really focusing on tough conversations. That's my thing. I love it. And mm-hmm. been doing a lot of these trainings lately and it's so fun. They come up to me and cannot wait to share when they're going to use it and how they're going to use it. Got one coming up next month, just did one last week. And the one coming up is a travel one. So that's exciting. Mm-hmm. So professionally, that is a really relatively new and exciting thing I've been doing. I have to refer to Zone of Genius for a minute, because as you were talking, I was thinking about, and I know you've heard me talk about Zone of Genius a number of times as you've gone through programs with me, but for our audience who've also heard me talk about Zone of Genius, as a reminder, when you're in your Zone of Genius, you're doing a thing that most other people can't do or don't want to do like it makes them uncomfortable, but you shine in this. And not only do you shine in this thing, but it totally lights you up. And when I hear you talk about helping people navigate uncomfortable conversations, I cannot think of a better example for zone of genius because probably 90% of our listeners are like, Oh God, like not sticky conversations, not uncomfortable conflict and confrontation. And you're just like, let's do it. I can't wait. Like, this is going to be amazing. So I love that you get to work in your zone of genius and also that you're able to help people reflect frame something that can be again, like this thing that makes us recoil or want to run and hide and really allow us to feel a sense of power and strength and even skill set around something that can typically be really hard for people. Yes, that's exactly it. And it's so normal to hate this type of thing. So I have a lot of people interested in the topic. So it's really fun to talk about. I want to know a little bit about how you have overcome self-limiting beliefs in order to step into the work that you do in HR, the work that you do in leadership, and really into building a whole converse or building a whole um, career around discomfort, (laughs) uncomfortable conversations, (laughs) digging into uncomfortable things. I've never thought of it that way, but that's exactly what I've built a career on, haven't I? (laughs) Well, you know, kind of a little story, which a lot of people say, my gosh, I never knew that about you. And this is kind of an answer to that question, too, is when I was young, I always thought I was kind of a mediocre person because I wasn't good at sports. I never did sports in any of the schools through high school or anything. And so for some reason, I translated that into like, I'm a less than person. Because I'm just going to always be mediocre because I'm not good at sports. And that's what, you know, people that make teams, those are athletes. And those are people that are kind of worth something. And kind of through the years, I had these what I call sparks of like, you're not mediocre. Let's figure out why you're believing this. And I kind of started testing that belief by 
becoming more athletic and deciding what does it mean when you're an athlete? I've told you I've started open water swimming and really getting into trail running and mountain biking and found that there was something like inside of me that wasn't mediocre and that I could Mm -hmm. kind of be something. An athlete doesn't determine if I'm something or not. But that was like the path almost that when I became an adult athlete, as I say, I feel like that has also brought about a lot of confidence work in these last five years since I started the business, which is, again, something I never would have done after all these beliefs. And now I identify as a confident person that is an athlete. And again, not that you have to be an athlete to be a confident person, but I've really been challenging myself to just step into this whole new version of myself and my adult life. Really, I mean, not till my 30s was really when this all really happened. And now just really stepping into this new CEO version of myself. And you need this in HR. You have to exude huge amounts of confidence. I mean, I was just coaching someone who owns a number of businesses and they're asking me questions that I would think everyone knows, but they don't. And so having that confidence to tell someone who, you know, who I see as, wow, you know, they're really successful and have all these businesses and they're asking me for advice. This has really, it's just a great fit and also helping with tough conversations, going at it with this level of confidence and sharing my story that maybe you believed that, Growing up, you shouldn't have a tough conversation because you are difficult if you have tough Mm -hmm. conversations. And so I actually talk about that in this tough conversations training I've been doing. And that was really my journey is kind of questioning some beliefs and then realizing all that's possible. And I think that translates so much into the work I do. You know, let's question why we feel like, like you said, why we get these emotions. You know, is that normal or is that something that we've been conditioned into? kind of whether it's our, you know, where we were educated or where we were brought up or, you know, a number of factors. Oh my goodness. So many nuggets in there. I want to go back to where you started with feeling mediocre because of your, I want to say lack of athleticism, but that's exactly what it was. was (laughs) But it might not have even been lack. It might not have been like that. You just hadn't found the athletic means that you were good at yet but that you have this identity around being mediocre because of that, because that's very relatable to me. I, (laughs) there's a lot of parallels in terms of me growing up feeling very unathletic and didn't have a body that looked athletic and balls and sports and teams were all very scary to me. But I think that when we look at conditioning and what's prioritized in society and culture, it's so easy to internalize these messages. And I think absolutely what you're saying is that if, all these other kids around you are doing sports at any level, like and just like on the team, regardless of whether or not they're very skilled or talented and you're not, then there is, I can see this space for this internalization of feeling mediocre. And then how, as a young person, you can just allow that to translate into other areas of your life and how challenging it can be to overcome that. And I love that you said that you tested, like you started to step outside of that box for yourself of feeling mediocre and testing, like, wait, am I really mediocre and learning new things as an adult? Because I do think that when you have that a frame of reference for yourself as a young person and you challenge that as an adult, it can completely change how you see yourself, how you see yourself as capable. Like it's massively transformational. And I love that it took you into this totally different realm in terms of what you saw as possible for yourself as an athlete, but also as a leader and as someone who really does things that are outside the margins of the middle and really like in these, the end of the spectrum in terms of like what is hard and uncomfortable in life. Yes. Well, even the book, you know, people say, wow, you wrote a book. And yes, I'm really proud of it. I also want to say though, you can too, you know, the people that come to me because it's a lot of people do it. And I don't want to minimize that it was a big accomplishment, but I also want to say, like, question the belief that you could never write a book because you could and you can. And because I get a lot of, oh, wow, I know you're disciplined. I can see how you, you know, would have been successful Mm -hmm. doing this. And I say, it's not about that, though. It's it's belief. That's all it is, is belief. Totally, totally. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is 
around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories, a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever. And your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you. And you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. Can you talk a little bit about where your passion specifically for tough conversations comes from? I could see passion for a lot of things. Why this? (laughs) (laughs) You are exactly right. I'm going to move my chair. It's squeaking a little bit. Gosh, you know, I get asked a lot, like I mentioned to you, like, wow, you like these conversations. That is so weird. And (laughs) I kind of find myself explaining like why and first of all, you know, kind of two things. I am good at it. I, I love phrasing and scripting. And it's always come really easily to me if someone says, you know, I just don't know how to say this. I, it's like a game, a puzzle, like putting together the right words. And I like speaking of a puzzle, I love when I'm presented with an issue and kind of asked for a solution, you know, because I've seen so much in 20 years in HR that I've just seen, I say I've seen it all because I have yet to be stumped with something. Of course, tomorrow I'll probably be stumped with something now that I say that, but <laughs> also, I'll be like, Joe, <laughs> you jinxed yourself. <laughs> exactly. It's so rewarding too. So I think I'm good at it. I can script and phrase things in a really like effective way that feels good to people, but it's also super rewarding. I say mm-hmm. like, you know, if someone asks me, well, why, you know, it's, it seems so hard to like learn all the things to have the conversation. I say, yes, but when I can get them from, I call it one side to the other, that is so satisfying and so rewarding. And when yeah. they kind of come out the other side, having had the conversation and, you know, I always say it might not go perfectly and it likely won't go perfectly but you've had the conversation and like mm-hmm. the I'll talk to clients and they'll be talking through a situation. I can feel the tightness, whether it be over zoom or over the phone. And then when we've worked through it, they look like a different person. Like their face looks yeah. different. Their voice sounds different. And they're usually saying, thank you so much. I feel so much better. I just, I'm so glad that we went for it and did it. So it's just so rewarding. I love that. I love how the work that you do, do with your clients mirrors the path that you have taken yourself on that you went into like the thing that felt like started to embrace the things that felt hard, maybe even unattainable, challenged your beliefs and were able to figure them out. And what happens on the other side of that is really transformational, but also really liberating, really freeing, and also builds huge confidence in terms of what you feel is you're capable of moving forward. 
And when you take a client through that, there's a very similar arc, even though it might not be like learning how to open water swim, it might be having a conversation with a boss, but on the other side of that rewards and outcomes are really, really similar. I also think that walking someone through that often, like you'd mentioned the tension. I was actually just yesterday doing a hypnotherapy session. And as I was not the hypnotherapist, I was having hypnotherapy done. And I was talking through a situation and the hypnotherapist said, tell me what that feels like in your body. And I said, it feels like this knot in my stomach. And like the tension just, it starts as the knot. And until the tension like takes over my whole body and I can't think about anything else except for that one thing. So she was talking about how, like, that's really normal. And here's why you feel that and et cetera. So when you're talking about in, walking a client into a sticky conversation, a hard conversation with that tension, that's palpable, I think that's a relatable feeling. And no matter how messy the middle is and how fumbly it might be to navigate a hard conversation, the feeling of relief to have it just be done and to have been able to say what you wanted to say, or, you know, come to hopefully to a piece of a place of peace. But even if you don't completely come to a place of peace that you're not holding all the things is a huge, huge relief. Absolutely. Yes. It's so worth it. You know, it's worth yeah. the practice. It's worth the yes. a little time to practice. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Why do we shy away from sticky situations? Maybe, I mean, on top of the discomfort and the tension Yes. <laughs> and how can we start to rewrite that narrative about our ability to really be in those tough moments? Yeah, that's such a good question. I'd say two reasons why we shy away from them. First of all, just they're uncomfortable. And, you know, it's almost like my wanting to do open water. So I, mean, I always go back to that because that it's still the most uncomfortable feeling for me. It's not comfortable. It's still scary. I yeah. have moments, most times I have a moment where I feel like I might drown. And mm-hmm. I think that's why we shy away because humans don't like to be uncomfortable. We just, we don't like to have those uncomfortable pauses. We don't like to try new things or get out of breath. We just don't like to be, I always say, well, I kind of like to get uncomfortable now in my adult life, but that's one reason I'd say. And I'd say another reason is people equate it with a confrontation. They say, Mm -hmm. this is going to be a bad conversation. It's going to be mean. And I'm going to say these things that are going to hurt them. It's going to be confrontational. And I think that is so far from the truth or doesn't have to be. So the way Mm -hmm. I teach it is it's a conversation. We're talking with them, not just at them. And we're sharing facts and ways to improve and asking them to kind of buy in and get their thoughts. And so I think those are probably two of the biggest reasons why people avoid them because they don't want to do the work necessarily to get through the the discomfort and to, you know, they changing the belief that it's a confrontation. You know, that expression, it's like your thoughts create Mm -hmm. your emotions and how you're feeling and then your actions come from there. So if your thought is that this is uncomfortable and it's going to be a confrontation, you're going to be like, nope, nope, nope. And fear sets in and then there's no action. I'm also curious about what we're projecting on the other person in those moments, because I think sometimes we forget we're just, we're talking to another human. And now that doesn't mean that that other human is going to behave reasonably because sometimes they might not, but also most humans do have a decent capacity for like engaging in a conversation and having a back and forth. And that doesn't mean it's going to be like beautiful and we're going to always get what we want, or it's always going to go in a really, you know, a way that really delights us. But I think what I have found is oftentimes those conversations that I go into thinking that it's going to be a confrontation and I am like, okay, like armor on ready to go. And then sometimes as soon as it gets started, I'm like, I'm just talking to another human being. Like they're as uncomfortable as I am. And if we both acknowledge like, oh, this is so yucky or weird or whatever, then it's like the walls start to come down and it's really different than what I imagine in a quote unquote confrontation. Yes. I love the quote to begin begin. And that's what I say about conversations. Just, I mean, prepare, don't go in without preparing, but do it, just do it. Cause thinking about it is going to eat at you. You know, it's so funny. I was just listening to one of your podcasts with, I think it was Jen Cassetta. It was so good. Mm -hmm. And you like mind read her and you were like mind reading and you just did it with me. Cause that's one of my like pillars is like be human centered. Remember that there's a human. We'll talk more about it, but (laughs) you're doing it now. (laughs) 
<laughs> You're mind reading. This is my new superpower. I just mind read all of my interviews. The one with Jen was particularly. Yes. I was laughing out loud. It was funny. Oh my gosh. Well, I know. And then at a certain point, I'm like, oh my gosh, now I feel like I'm stealing her thunder. Like, <laughs> like I'm just going to not talk. But it's also really great having that synergy with someone. And I know you and I, I know that we've worked together long enough that we do have some of that synergy. So totally. Um, so that was a great segue into the five-step formula. So can you talk us through the five-step formula for dealing with tough conversations? Yes, I love this stuff. So (laughs) the formula, I'll just say the steps and then I'll kind of circle back to what they mean. So to kind of step back even one step further, in my business, I like things to be simple when I explain things. I I just believe in simplicity because we all really just need things broken down for us, especially if it's not in like our own zone of genius. So this formula is very simple. The first and fifth step. So two of the five steps are thanks. Step two is why. Step three is what. Step four is how. And again, step five is thanks again. So step one, thanks is as simple as thanks for taking a minute to chat with me. Or thanks for taking time out of your busy day to meet with me. Or thanks for sitting down to talk about this. This may be a little uncomfortable to talk about. I just really appreciate you. That type of thing. It just softens the air around the conversation, I think. So step two, why? I say it should be one sentence and like why you're there, why you're having the conversation. Just get it out there because we all know that this is some sort of conversation that needs to be had, maybe deemed as a hard or tough or uncomfortable conversation. So just say why we're there. Let's not keep anyone in suspense and say it in one sentence. Like, you know, say you're at work and you're talking about deadlines. You know, Sally, we're here to talk about you missing deadlines. Now Sally knows. And humans, we like information. So even if it's not like good information, we, we're wired to like want information and then we can deal with it. So step three is the what. You want to describe the why you're having the conversation, but not 20 reasons, not 20 sentences. I say one to three solid reasons like that you can prove to support why you're having the conversation. So that deadline example, if anyone listens to podcasts I'm on, I always use this one because it's really straightforward. Like Sally, you missed a deadline on January 2nd and 16th. Today is February 3rd and you're now about to miss another deadline. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's the what to support it. And then the fourth step, how, of course, we've, we've now laid out what's the problem or why, why we're here, what the problem is, and, and some descriptors as to you know, why we're here. And so we have to talk about how we want them to improve or how we want to move forward. That's how I usually describe it is, okay, what's next? How are we going to rectify things? So in this case, you could say, you know, deadlines are crucial for our customer satisfaction. In the future, if you're going to miss a deadline, I need to know at least seven days ahead of time so that we can be sure to remove roadblocks or talk about any issues that are going to prevent you from meeting that deadline. What questions do you have? Does this make sense? That's what would happen in the how statement or questions as well. And then once you have a little back and forth, maybe some clarification is needed. You want to end with thanks again. Thanks for again for having this conversation. Uh, I say don't you know, you don't have to pad this with compliments or I don't believe in a compliment sandwich. I think just end it with thanks for your time. I know you're busy. Just kind of have a little empathy for them taking time out of their day. And like you said, empathy for them as a human, just sitting there listening to what you're sharing with them. So I do have a three-pronged approach, which I can share in a minute, but I'll pause there and kind of reflect on the formula for a minute. Oh my goodness. I love the conciseness of this. And that you're pointing out the conciseness of this. I think that Brene Brown says clear is kind. And so when you're saying like identifying one sentence while you're here, people like me, well, (laughs) a couple things. So if you're a people pleaser, if you're an extrovert, which means you externally process, if you don't ever want to let anyone down, then instead of just one sentence identifying why you're here, you might be very likely to go into 13 to 18 paragraphs (laughs) why you're here and trying to like make the other person like feel really validated. But like, I need to work, we need to work on these things, but also like, I know that. So I really appreciate that. Like one sentence, keeping it really clean and simple. I think that's really, really important. The other thing I wanted to acknowledge was 
like the thank you in the top and the bottom, showing that appreciation, showing the gratitude, showing the um, empathy is all really important, but that it doesn't need to be again, like over the top. I think when we can think about people who've been, if, if you've been socialized as a woman, we feel like we have to over-justify, over-prove, over-explain, like over-support, over-give evidence, like all these things. And I think that at a certain point that actually erodes leadership, it erodes trust, it erodes relationships and really keeps us in our own way instead of keeping things more clean and simple, whether we're talking about interpersonal relationships or professional relationships. And I say that as someone who is like an over-explainer, over-prover, over over gratitude giver. <laughs> yes, such a good point. And, and that's the thing. It goes back to simple. I want to keep it simple. I want I want this to be something that people can keep in their minds and not have to, you know, grab my book or grab their cheat sheet and remember it. I want it to be fairly simple. And as mm-hmm. few a sentences as you can do, the better. And we can talk about the approach to the five steps if you want me yeah, to jump into that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So can you talk about so you have a three-prong approach to the five steps? And that's where you say the magic happens. So tell us, tell us about the magic. (laughs) Yes. In the book too, the first chapter is the five steps. And then there's a a whole chapter on simple, which is prong one, straightforward, which is prong two, and human-centered, which is prong three. And that's, again, where the magic happens because, you know, the formula is great, but it needs something. It needs kind of just some substance. So simple. I've said probably 50 times how much I love simple. So that has to be the first prong. So less said, best said, which goes back to Sarah, what you commented on the why one sentence, the what and the how can be more sentences. The why has to be one sentence. It just has to be, or it's going to get lost. You have to be concise. You know, in marketing, they say you confuse, you lose. Same thing. You're going to, you know, quote unquote, lose the conversation. You're it's going to be ineffective if you confuse them in the first sentence. And we don't want to have the conversation again. So that's yeah. the why. Like, why be simple? That's why we want to make sure they know. And it might be hard to say, but you're getting it out there right away. And another part of simple is repeat yourself. Don't introduce new information. When you say the what's and you identify, you know, maybe these one, two, or three maximum things and they're questioning something, repeat if you need to. Mm-hmm. Don't start, don't introduce new information. It's going to make the conversation go sideways. So the second prong is straightforward. Fairly straightforward, what it would mean. I describe it as in by three words. So you're direct, you're professional, and you're kind. And, you know, in personal settings, you know, professional, I think still applies, though, because we want to save face. We don't want to ruin a friendship, even in a personal relationship. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Like, how would you tell someone this at work? You know, why wouldn't you use the same words to a friend? Because, you know, you want to maintain that relationship as well. And I say it's not being brutally honest. It's not just laying it out there, not caring how it feels. You're direct, you're professional and you're kind. And I love adding this on. There does not need to be any sorries. Sorry, I just need to mm-hmm. tell you about deadlines. Sorry, I just need to tell talk to you about this. Sorry, there's no need for a sorry in here. You shouldn't be sorry about the conversation. It needs to be had. And yeah. so I like to say, don't soften it with a sorry. I, again, there could be situations where you're apologizing for something. That's different. Don't apologize mm-hmm. because you're being direct. Right, right, right. As long as you're direct, professional, and kind. We don't want to hurt anyone in these conversations. And the third prong is be human-centered or human-focused. And what I want to be clear is this does not mean dancing around it or, you know, being too soft and not actually saying what the issue is. What it is, is maybe starting the conversation with a quick, how are you doing? How's your day been? I say at work, this could be this is gold at work. If you have to address something with someone and you say first, you know, how are you, Sally? Are are you doing okay today? She might say, yeah, why? And you just dive right in. She also Mm -hmm. might say, no, actually, thanks for asking. Um, I just got a bad diagnosis yesterday afternoon. You now you, and we'll talk a little bit about what I call the what ifs. Now you don't want to just charge ahead And you do still need to have the conversation. Now is not the time. 
So that's being human centered is saying maybe asking how they are and possibly rescheduling the conversation, not for three months, maybe in a couple days, maybe say, whoa, what do you need, especially at work? Can I give you the afternoon off? Do you need anything from me to you know, take next steps with looking more into this condition? Human centered is also using empathy. Brene Brown says, empathy fuels connection. We want to connect with them as a person. I say, sit on the same side of the table. If you're in a room where you're having the conversation, putting a table across from you feels a little more confrontational. So try sitting beside them if that feels good. Not right up close to them, but beside them. I love that. Yeah, so those are the three prongs. I I love the three prongs. And can I give an example of something that came up when I was entering a a sticky conversation. I would love that. Ago. I would love so that. So I, as someone who doesn't love hard conversations, even though I do love to teach how people like how to use their voice and everything, I get real nervous about having uncomfortable conversations with people close to me because I don't want to let anyone down. And, oh, and so, um, but I was in a situation with someone I was working on a project with and they were kind of, they had started kind of dropping some balls and just like weren't showing up for things in the same way. And so I started making this story up in my head as one does like, well, they're just not as invested in me and blah, blah, blah. And like, they're, I'm going to have to do all the work and all these things. So I was like, okay, we need to have a conversation about this. And so we were on a call, we had regular calls during the course of the project. And so we got on a call and I was getting all ready to have this conversation, but we started, I started off with the, Hey, how are you? What's going on? And this was during COVID. We were probably a year into COVID at this point. And she, I said, how are you? And she said, oh, things have just been really hard. She said, one of my kids has COVID. The other one is really struggling with her mental health as a result of being out of school for so long. I'm really worried about her. We've actually had some really serious meetings with some of her teachers. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, this is why. Like the things that I had been making up this big story about, it wasn't that she didn't want to be engaged in the project or that she was like trying to make me do more work. It was that she was in crisis mama mode. And as soon as she told me this, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you said something. And like, how can I help? And what do you need? And what can I take off your plate? And it was just, the conversation was completely different because I knew. And so then I said, well, why don't we like move these things this way? And like, let's check in again in another week and see. And she was like, yeah, like, I just can't wait for things to be a little more stable. So it wasn't about her like being flaky, dropping balls, not being competent. It was about like really being in this survival mode in the middle of a global pandemic, which we had like kind of normalized by then. So I was like, we're like, we're over it. Right. You know, cause in my, I didn't have chaos in my household that week, but that doesn't mean that someone else didn't. So it was just that one question of like, how are you open the doors to like the conversation, totally changing gears in terms of what I was able to in terms of being able to go into it with empathy, compassion, and, and really have a good conversation that was productive versus me sitting her down. And the second she showed up to be like, here's some things I really need to talk about today. <laughs> oh my gosh, Sarah, that is like the perfect example of human centered. Because yeah, it makes your brain kind of shift to say, okay, I'm still probably going to talk about the issues. I'm also going to be human centered first. Yeah. Love yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Makes a really big difference. So can you run through an example or two of how we can apply the five-step formula, maybe like a professional example and then a personal example? Sure. So I have some kind of ready because I I love sharing examples. I wondered which, I have a couple work examples and I'll ask you which one you might like, you might prefer. So I put one together because I always want to think of employees too. I don't want to always think like as an employer, you having a hard conversation. I want to also, so in the book too, I give examples both ways. So one that I have in there, which I could share too, is an employee asking for a raise um, which Ooh. is, I know <laughs> that makes my that one, that one. <laughs> and the other work one is like a, how to let someone go or, you know, Let's a, a do the raise. I mean, you know how <laughs> I always want everyone to ask for a raise. So. Yes. I kind of, yeah. as I was saying that, I thought this is going to be a good one for so many reasons, because again, our beliefs think we're not, you know, educated enough to ask for a raise or we're not good enough, or we don't look this way. No, this is not like, You know, everyone should, my goal is to have everyone feel empowered to ask for it. So here's how the formula could look. 
So the employee to, you know, a manager. So thanks for meeting with me. I know you're busy. I'd like to talk with you about me being, my being deserving of a raise in June before our annual increase in the month of January. I'm requesting a 5% increase, which would bring my salary to, let's just say $52,000 a year. A few reasons I believe I'm deserving of a raise are, one, I trained two new employees over the last year. Two, I took on additional duties as a supervisor, which have entailed longer hours and adding more direct reports. And three, I completed additional projects over and above my regular job duties, such as spearheading our diversity and inclusion committee efforts and serving as a mentor to newer employees. Thanks again for your consideration of this request. Would you be able to give me a response in one week? Do you have any questions on anything I shared? And thank you for taking the time to listen to my request. Oh my gosh, I love it. It's not 18 paragraphs. (laughs) No, and that's the thing. You know, it's one paragraph. Yeah, exactly. I love it. That's such a great example. And I'm realizing the amount I put, I don't know why I landed at $52,000 a year. It should be like $202,000 a year. (laughs) I think I just stuck in an arbitrary... Five-figure salary or six-figure That framework is so great and it gets you out of your head of the like over-explaining. And it's like when you have a template where you can be a little more objective and neutral and then you're just plugging in the pieces, which is I think really different than feeling like you have to like go in and fight for yourself or like, which who, I mean, depending on the outcome, maybe that comes later, but you might have to step into self-advocacy more, but like the initial step is just like really neutrally, like, here's what I'm asking for. Here's why this is, you know, here's why I deserve this. Any questions? Can you let me know by next week? Like, yeah. I think and that's it's great. Putting like a parameter to like, that's a confident way to speak is I'd like a response in one week, you know, not don't leave yeah. it open-ended because managers, yes. this is not their priority. I mean, it should be. Another thing you mentioned too is this might not be the last conversation, but I say as you're putting things together, I talk about like brain dumping everything you want to say and then go back and clean it up and take out words and make sure it's really succinct. But as you're doing this, it also, so if you're the employee and you're thinking, I'm so angry, I deserve a raise, and you do the exercises and you write out all the reasons and you don't have any reasons... That's on you to make sure you have good reasons because they need to say yes because you have good reasons. I mean, that's in any raise request. You'd want to support it. So it's it goes both ways. It really encourages you to say, yes, this is and it makes you go into it saying, yeah, here are the three things and here they are. And I've thought about this um, instead of just thinking you need a raise because you've done all this stuff. I'm putting air quotes (laughs) for those that can't see outline the stuff because that's really important. Yeah. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners 
listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. I also think that as you have mentioned now a couple of times, like preparing for this and being responsible and accountable to preparing for it versus thinking like, well, it's just going to be a conversation. So there can be a back and forth. And instead really being well-prepared because to your point, when you prepare, you might write out 18 paragraphs to begin with, and then you can see the themes, the threads and be like, okay, so clearly I'm talking a lot here about this, these same things. And you can really then narrow it down to the three things that you want to talk about in a really clear, concise way versus like example after example after example that all point to the same thing. Um, yes. And I think that that's something yes. I've had to do this, like, again, as an external processor, I have to do this a lot to be like, <laughs> You don't need to say all the things that are in your head all the time. <laughs> you can get like, get a summary, <laughs> use one example. Um, and there's a lot of value in that. And that definitely does also really lend to your highlight your professionalism. Um, Cause it shows that you're prepared. It shows that you have it well thought out and it shows that you, it puts you into a position of power because you are concise and really clear and able to be easily understood versus having to sit and fumble your way through something or circle round and round and round it without getting to the point. Yes. Oh, so good. Well, and it's almost like journaling. I say, get out your emotions, get out all the reasons. And I love what you said about the themes. Once again, mind reading in the book, I talk about brain dumping and you're likely going to see the same thing come up in different ways and you're going to get out, write it the way you'd like to tell them, you know, you don't appreciate me. I need to write, write it out that way and get it all out. And then go back and make it sound professional. And then I always say at the end, just zip it and like, stop. You don't have to Mm. keep going. That shows such confidence when you stop and they might be thinking, wow, I'm not going to give this person this raise or you make them say the next word. (laughs) Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about like just stopping and sitting there and waiting? Because that is really uncomfortable (laughs) and I've learned to do it as a business owner, like you have to learn how to do that, but it's so uncomfortable. How do we hold space for that silence and stay in our power? So uncomfortable. And I say, it's not easy and it will only be easy if you practice it and do it. You know, I always say these conversations, try, you know, if you can't memorize it, have it written down, have some notes, do it in front of a mirror and watch Mm -hmm. yourself and then pause and kind of watch what you do in the pause. And I call it, I mean, it can be so powerful. Oftentimes people start share, like you're going to, in this case, you could make your manager. I mean, hopefully they say what you want them to say, but you're forcing them to respond. You don't want to talk yourself out of it almost. And so, but practice, you've got to practice it. And I found just the more and and going back to the uncomfortable, like lean into it, feeling uncomfortable rather than say, Oh, I hate this. It's so uncomfortable. Just lean in and be like, this is going to be so uncomfortable. This is going to be so uncomfortable. And just, you know, I sometimes pinch myself if I want to not talk and I say like, just hold Mm -hmm. it, just hold it. Don't say anything. Let them be the next. I love that. I also think paying attention to the way other people use pauses in 
just in presentation. So whether it's in like public speaking or in conversations, sitting in, if you're sitting in a meeting, notice how people do it or don't do it. I know you and I both know um, Alexia Vernon, who's currently my speaking coach. And she is so good at like pausing and she's an introvert. So she can pause and like hold space, like no one's business. Um, you also <laughs> know, Nikita, my assistant coach, like yes, another she's introvert. So good at that. like Nikita can just like throw this amazing question out there. And then she's like, I'll just sit here and wait while you all think about it. And I'm like, Oh my God, like the silence <laughs> is so uncomfortable. But I've really learned from both of them how to hold space for silence because I've seen how they look so much more power, like the, it, how it up levels their professionalism. It makes them look hugely in control, like, and in integrity. And so when I, as I've watched them do that as a skill set, I've been able to see, okay, I can mimic that even if it's uncomfortable and it's a way to exude confidence, even if I'm not feeling it. And now it's gotten way more easy over time. And it's funny, my, um, someone I work with, with some of the work I do with Vinny's school in leading some meetings there, um, someone asked me recently about holding silence when we're in parent association meetings and things like that. And they're like, oh, you're really good at it. And I was like, oh my God, that's such a huge compliment because that it's been so hard for me. I'm like, literally like, it's a professional goal of mine to like hold silence. <laughs> um, but it does get easier because you recognize that the silence isn't about you. <laughs> and so yeah, it really can shift the power dynamic in a really big way. And I think, again, exude confidence in a really significant way. And kind of thinking, just like you said, what it can do, it makes it worth sitting. Even I've said before, when I when it wasn't super comfortable, I would say twice, you're okay. This is okay. In my head. Yeah, and that was yeah. enough of a pause, usually. Like, you're okay. This is okay. Just sit, mm-hmm. sit with it. Just yeah. sit. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. <laughs> okay. What's your other example? So I had another work one, letting someone go, but I also have a personal example. Would that let's, be Yeah, let's do a personal example. I love this one. This is one of my favorites. So this one is you're going shopping with someone and they're really excited about, let's see, like a job interview and they want you to weigh in on the outfit they're choosing and you think it's awful. <laughs> and they're oh a really God. good friend. <laughs> such a great example (laughs) and you're like I have to tell them so you could start off thanks so much for asking me to come along shopping with you today I'm so honored that you chose me I'm so excited about this prospective job opportunity I really like the outfit you chose for casual events and everyday work if it were me I may choose something a little dressier for the interview I want you to have the best chance at getting this job what do you think would it be okay if I grabbed a few other options for you to try if you're up for it? And you kind of wait, then you pause. And, and then, you know, I always say, hopefully from there, they say, yeah, that would be great. And then they, you bring in some and they find some, maybe you have to go through this a couple times. And at the end, then they get the job and they're singing your praises. And um, yeah, but you just say, thanks so much for letting me come with you. Oh, I love that. That's such a great, such a great example. I think we've all been in those situations where like a friend asks about something and you're like, oh my God, what do I say? Like it's that uncomfortable, that a really uncomfortable pause. You're like, like I, ah. I want to be honest and be a good friend, but, but that's such a great, like, well, this could be great for that other thing, but maybe not for this. Thing. Yeah. And I try I to like take out however's and butts because it can kind of mm. negate. So like, I really like the outfit you chose for casual events and everyday work. And I, I don't say, but if it were me, I just stop the sentence and say, mm-hmm. if it were me, I might choose something. And I inserted questions in this. You know, would it be okay if I grabbed a few other options? Like, I want yeah. them to be part of this, not just like that outfit's bad. We need to look for others. I'm going to go grab some. Then your right. friend might be thinking, why did I even take them? And then it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Such a great example. <laughs> oh my gosh. Jill, I can't believe our time is already. <laughs> I know this is flown. This is how sticky conversations can be so much fun. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I always tell people in my hard conversations training, like we're going to have fun and we're going to laugh. And they're like, sure you are. And I say, no, we will. We'll, we'll have some kind of funny examples and it can be fun. It can be fun learning. Absolutely. Absolutely. So can you tell people how you work with people and what kind of what your work looks like. Do you work with people one-on-one? Do you work with corporations? What does that look like? 
Yes. So I work with typically businesses up to 50 employees are what I call my ideal clients who want to learn what they don't know about HR. And the way I work with them most typically is through the HR subscription, which essentially is so that they always have me as an on-call HR director whenever they have questions and a bank of online resources, forms, checklists, video tutorials that they can reference whenever they need to pull something. They also get Voxer access as much as they need. And so it's great for businesses who don't have the budget to hire HR. So I've got clients with three employees and I've got some with 80 employees and some with like 30 to 35. And so that's how I help clients most. And I have what I call secret offerings, which are more robust trainings, but I don't really talk about those. I talk about the subscription. And the other way is through hard conversations training or tough conversations training. And I actually call it tough conversations and phrasing training is because we talk about like how to actually say things. And that can be for clients or just one off. You know, if a business is listening and says, oh my gosh, we could use such help with this across our organization. I can just come in for this. It's one hour and a half and allows room for questions. And and then everyone has tools. And I basically, it's based a lot on my book, Conquer Sticky Situations, the training is. And a lot of what I teach clients every day is based on that. So that was kind of the not so short answer of how I work with clients. No, I love it. Cause I'm imagining people are like, oh yeah, that could be helpful. And that could be helpful. And people are thinking about whether they're in the situation or no, or in the situation of being in a business of that size or no people who are, they can see the value in that for sure. And you mentioned the book, which I think anyone could benefit from the book, regardless of your professional situation. So can you tell people, um, Actually, before we do that, before before I ask you to wrap it all up, I'm going to yep. back up. How are you currently showing up as a shameless mom? And I'm curious if this has anything to do with what we just talked about, like <laughs> sticky sticky situation, shameless mom. <laughs> so yes, and I'm so excited to be asked this question. Well, I'll start with the quote, which really encapsulates how I think I'm showing up. A Michael Hyatt quote. I think it was from the book. Um, Now, I don't remember the name of the book, but I'm not going to let that delay. Measure the gain, not the gap. Recognize Mm -hmm. the value of incremental wins. And so I'm really owning this role as CEO and a mom and that I do both far from perfectly. And I'm just owning that. I used to think I had to do both perfectly or that I that meant that I wasn't good at each. But now I Mm -hmm. embrace that I'm doing my best and that is more than good enough. And I now measure and count even the tiniest little wins. And that to me is being shameless. (laughs) Love it. Oh, so good. So good. Thank you. Okay. So tell people where they can find you, connect with you, access services and get the book. Great. Thank you. So Expedition HR is my website and my business name, Expedition HR. And so that's where they can learn more about the subscription and reach out and chat and see if it's an option. And on social, I hang out on LinkedIn. That is my main platform now. I do a little bit on Facebook, but I'd prefer people to find me on LinkedIn. And I also too, if it's okay, if any, if anything resonated with anyone in particular, pop me a note and tell me that would mean the world mm-hmm. to me and is so helpful. I'm always tweaking my trainings. And I love to hear what one thing, you know, what gold nugget did you take away? And I just love connecting with people. So would love to connect I, there. I love that. And you are a great connector via DM. And if people shoot you a message, I know you're so good at being in communication and being um, connected. So did you say expeditionhr.com? Is that the website? Yes. Okay. So I'm going to yep. link everything in the show notes. So we'll have expeditionhr.com link there. We'll link up LinkedIn. People can reach out to you and let them know their takeaways from this conversation. We'll link to Facebook, third priority down there. <laughs> and I forgot about um, the book, Sarah. Sorry. Yes, yes, yes. And the book. Where can we find the book? Tell the name of the book and then where can they, we find it? Yes, it's called Conquer Sticky Situations, and it can mainly be found on Amazon. It is at other retailers like Barnes & Noble, but I always just direct people to Amazon. That's probably the best, best bet, and there's lots of reviews. You can check it out, see if it's for you. 
Yay. I love it. Oh my goodness. This has been so much fun, Jill. So I will link everything that we just talked about in the show notes. If people go to shamelessmom.com, click on the episode here with Jill Schroyer, and you can just click right on through to all those resources. Oh my goodness, Jill. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad we finally made this happen. When you write the next book, you got to come back again. (laughs) Sounds great. Thank you so much, Sarah. This was a blast as I knew it would be. So fun. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.